This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Everybody online, good morning. Glad to not see you, but feel your presence today, I guess. I know you're there. We're glad that you're here this morning. Hope you guys had a good July 4th uh, week. Y'all look tan. Some of you a little crispier than others. Hope all you lake people got to do whatever you do on the lake and, and all that good stuff. I'm glad to be here bringing the word today. As Pastor Josh and Sarah are away, I know our pastors, I know you guys know this too, our pastors work really hard for us all year long. And so I'm glad that they've got a couple of weeks to be able to disconnect from um, ministry, the rhythms of ministry, and connect with the Lord and connect with each other. Um, so just continue to be praying for them. And, and I just want to take a moment this morning and just let you know how grateful I am to be a part of this church. I love you guys so much. Like, this hasn't been just um, my place of employment for the last seven years. Like, this is, this is where the Lord has um, treat. this has been an incubator for me and my family to grow. And I just feel very honored to be among you today. And can't you just sense the presence of God this morning? I, I looked around here in worship and Ryan is just dancing in the back. I just breaking down, ugly crying. Just the Lord is so good and his presence is so here. So present with us, his face is near today. I know you can sense that whether or not you're at home or in the room, the Lord is here and he's near and he's got a word for us this morning. Do you, do you believe that? So we've been in a series called By Faith. Pastor Josh kicked it off with three just incredibly solid weeks of, of Bible teaching. And then Pastor Sarah last week brought an incredibly timely word uh, for the season in history that we find ourselves. And I just say, I like to say, if you missed any of those weeks, I know we've had a lot of vacation, a lot of people out of town, it's like that, go back and watch those. Because each of these characters, as we've been going through the hall of faith found in Hebrews 11, each of these characters gives, gives us a different angle on faith, gives us a different lens in which to look this out. Because what the writer of Hebrews is trying to impart in us is he's trying to call us to a standard of living on the earth and walking through the earth. And he's using these ways the Lord has worked through these characters in, in, in generations past to give us faith and give us an angle in which to see the world that we live in and we walk through today. So um, I, I'm going to read our main text this morning out of Hebrews 11, and then I want to pray, and then we're just going to dive right into it, okay? So turn with your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4 in the New King James Version, which is the version Jesus would teach on if he was here today. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony, the elders being these people in the hall of faith. The elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are, not, which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though it, he being dead, still speaks. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just love you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we love your word. And Lord, as we come before you today, and we come before your word today, Lord, we just make our hearts like clay before you, Jesus. Lord, that you would just mold us and shape us however you need us to look. Lord, we are surrendered to you, Jesus. We want to model our life after you, Lord. We want to walk in a manner that pleases you. We want to walk in a manner in which we are a benefit and a, an extender of the kingdom, a builder of the kingdom in this earth, Lord. We love you. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, 
Amen. So today we're going to be walking through the story of Cain and Abel. And this is a story that is very near and dear to my heart. We actually named our firstborn son Abel. And without fail, every single time that we tell somebody that um, we named our son Abel, what follows is, well, hope he didn't name his brother Cain. And... And I fear I've, we've set him up for a lifetime of, of hearing that joke. But, but this is a story that, that, that we're all familiar with. Whether or not you grew up in church or you didn't grow up in church, you're probably somewhat familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. I asked my son Abel this week, hey, can you tell me about the story of Cain and Abel? And he was like, yeah, Cain got a rock and killed his brother. Which, you know, he's taking a little liberty uh, in, the, in the text there, but we get the gist of this at an early age. It's one of those Bible stories that we just know, but I think because of that, the familiarity with it causes us to read this and kind of blow through this account. And so what I want to do today is I want to read through the entirety of the story of Cain and Abel, and then I want to go back through piece by piece and then just see what the Lord might say to us through this story today, okay? So if you would turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to read through this account. It says this, now Adam knew his wife, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the, first, uh, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So let's go back to verse one. Let's break this down a little bit. Genesis 4.1. Now Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she, bore, she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. So I was thinking about how this would play out practically for them. So let's remember a few things. Adam and Eve are the only human beings on the planet. Okay? They've never seen a baby before. All right, So their context of what this process is going to look like is very, very minimal. And they've probably seen you know, the animals have babies and the animals reproduce, but they don't have a copy of what to expect when you're expecting nearby. Okay? Like they're, the, they're the first humans on the planet. Like I was thinking about the fact that how Adam and Eve were both uh, created as like fully mature adults. So Adam from the dust of the ground, Eve from the rib. So you know, was there a part of Eve that feared maybe that these babies were going to come fully formed out of them. Like how baby is the, how big is this baby going to get? Um, I was thinking about how kind of confusing and relatively traumatic that, 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 that conception that, and that, that pregnancy would have been for Eve. Like she doesn't know that uh, it's going to take nine months. Like I'm sure there was a point. I know with each of, of Kaylee's pregnancies with both Abel and Levi, there comes a point in that third trimester where she gets a look in her eye that's like, I need this baby to be out right now. <laughs> I, I imagine, uh, like, how, how did they know that they were pregnant? Like, we, know, we don't know how much time has passed between Adam and Eve being created and then the fall and then them um, conceiving and giving birth to Cain and Abel. But we know they've been doing, like, married things for a few chapters at this point, but no baby has come. So, like, how do they even know they're pregnant? Like, maybe Adam, like, woke up one day and looked at Eve and was like, I think you need to lay off the fruit. Like, your stomach's getting a little bigger. <clears throat> 
Or maybe, maybe God sat his kids down and had like the talk with them at some point, you know, like the birds and the bees talk. We don't know the specifics of the details, but we do know at some point she conceives and she gives birth to Cain and Abel. Now, I believe that the text implies here that they were twins. So you see there one conception and two births. And then also the language that's used there for, and again, uh, that, 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 that the birth of Abel, um, that she again gave birth to Abel. That word there is Asaph, which means to be added to. So when you read in the Hebrew, it says that the birth of Abel was added to the birth of Cain. But either way, this begins a pattern of sibling rivalry that we see play out all throughout the book of Genesis. We see Cain and Abel, we see Jacob and Esau, we see Joseph and his brothers, we see uh, Ju- the sons of Judah, Zerah and Perez. And all of these, the, the younger born, the, the, the one that isn't supposed to inherit the birthright, rises up and takes on and becomes the main character of the story. You can even see this play out in the names of Cain and Abel, okay? So you, it, the name of Cain means possession. It's a strong word. It's, it's a name that has, that has some substance to it, but the name of Abel means breath. And it's not used anywhere else in the Bible, but the root word of that, of that name, Abel, means to be empty or vain. Breath is empty. It doesn't carry substance. So we see this pattern of God delighting in the one less likely. We see this pattern of God choosing to use the one that goes against human wisdom. So what was the inheritance, though, that maybe Cain and Abel were contesting for? What was it that was causing friction? Okay, so one of the things that we have to remember when we're reading the Old Testament specifically when we're reading these stories at the beginning of Genesis, is we got to read them through the lens of an ancient Hebrew. So because we're New Testament believers, because we know Jesus is, like we know the end of the story, sometimes that, that, that changes the way that we interact with the text and it changes the way that we interpret what's going on. And we miss some meanings and, and some of the, the, the motives behind some of the behavior. Okay, so I want to go back to Genesis uh, chapter three, verse 15. So just one page over. And I want to read to you um, kind of a framework to kind of look, a lens to kind of look through the the rest of this story, okay? So this is uh, right after the fall where Adam and Eve have sinned and this perfect communion that they had with God, this perfect life that they had with him was lost. And in the dawn of Satan's success, God delivers a promise for the redemption of mankind. He says this to the serpent in verse 15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we as a New Testament believer are going to read that and immediately we're going to think, well, this is Jesus that he's talking about. Like this is Jesus, the son of God coming, the son of man, the seed of man, defeating sin in the grave, which is the seed of Satan, and then providing redemption, providing a way for us to come back into perfect communion with God. But Adam and Eve, they wouldn't have seen it this way, okay? Remember, they're the only people on the planet right now. They're not thinking like this world is going to grow and there's going to be billions of people on it. They're thinking this is the family of God right now. So likely what they thought when, when, when she was pregnant and gave birth to Cain and Abel, like, likely what Adam and Eve were thinking was this is the seed that God had promised. Likely they're thinking one of these is going to rise up and defeat the serpent and get us back into the garden. Okay. So with that lens in mind, let's read the rest of the story. So because they're being prepared for something here. When, when you read it that way, you start to realize that they were being raised for something, like they were being pointed at something. Okay. So verse two, let's continue reading the story. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Okay, so 
That phrase there, in the process of time, in some translations reads, at the end of days or at a designated time. Okay, so we don't know exactly what this is referring to here, but it signifies that they had some rhythm of tradition or observance. So at a designated time, they would come and they would bring an offering to the Lord. So at the end of days, maybe this was the end of the week. So maybe every Sabbath they would come and they would, it, was their, it was their tradition, it was their custom. And they would, have, they would have gotten this rhythm of worship from their parents. Maybe at the end of every week at the Sabbath, they would come and they would bring an offering to the Lord. Or maybe every year at the, at the anniversary of the fall, like not the season, but the fall of mankind, they would come again. And maybe it was their custom to come to the gate of Eden and to go, Lord, we're going to bring you a sacrifice and an offering. We don't know exactly the specifics here, but there are two things that are significant about this. Okay, the first one is this. God still desired relationship with his family. Even though they had messed up, even though they had sinned, he still loved his children and he loved their children and he desired relationship with them. God wasn't distant. He didn't remove himself from them. The, the, the consequence for their sin didn't change. Like they weren't allowed back into the garden. The, this perfect life and this perfect relationship that he had originally intended them to have with him and with creation, it was still forfeit. But still, we see him being responding to their worship. We see him drawing near. God desired relationship with his kids. <clears throat> and this is the theme of the entire Bible. Like the story of God and mankind can be summed up in this. God loves people. Man rebels against God. And then God works to build relationship, to, to make a way again for them to be in relationship again. God loves man. God loves us. We rebel, but God comes again. Anyways, it's his loving kindness. It's the, it's the rhythm of mercy. It's, it's the melody of grace that's interwoven into every story and every character. And this is the heart of God. This is his desire above everything else. It's, it's to be in relationship with us. It's that we can know him. And because of that, receive of his love and work in our lives and then go and give glory back unto himself. It's like, it's this cycle of worship and redemption and sacrifice that just continually plays out throughout scripture. The second thing is this, is that they understood the design of mankind on, uh, they designed, they understood the design of God on mankind to worship him. So this is an early picture of a pattern that we repeated all throughout the story of God's people. A fallen people and children coming before a holy God and Father and moving him with sacrifices and offerings of worship. Like think about that, God is moved by our worship. I had a youth pastor growing up that, that said this once and it stuck with me my whole life, that the only thing that we have that we can offer God that he doesn't already have is our worship. Like think about that. Everything else in this whole world he's got but your worship is the one thing that he will not make you give him. He will not make you give him his worship. So when we offer our worship to him, it moves his heart. It's, it moves him. And we see this play out in, in, uh, later on in the story that God is moved by the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. So Cain brings the offering of the fruit of the ground as an offering, and then Abel brings the firstborn of his flock. So let's keep reading. <clears throat> and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. So Cain rejects, or God rejects Cain's offering, but he accepts Abel's offering. And my, my question here that comes up <clears throat> is why? Like, why? Like, there's no rules given here. Like, we don't see, like, God saying, like, hey, here's the expectation. We've got no context for that. So you just begin to go, what was wrong with Cain's offering? What was it about Abel's offering that caused God to accept it. And I think one of the things that it's important that we do when we read the word is to be curious. 
I think that, that some of the secrets to like getting revelation out of the word is simply just asking questions. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we go, I don't get it, and we kind of move on. But if we will just pause and allow our curiosity to guide kind of where we start to dig, because listen, th this is not just words on a page. Like this is treasure for your life. This is, this, is, this is a living well of water that if we'll dig beneath the surface, there is, there is refreshment here. Like this is, this is a, the word of God is a gift to our lives. But just like any gift, we got to kind of unwrap it a little bit. And I think one of the ways that we do that is through questions. So the question that comes to my mind is, what was it about these sacrifices? Okay, now I remember we're in a series called By Faith. And there's a reason that Abel was mentioned in this account of men of faith in the Bible, okay? So by faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, is it, impo it is impossible to please God. And it tells us that in verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So this gives us a clue into what the differences were between Cain's offering and Abel's offering. Abel's offering was accepted by God because it was offered by faith. Okay, how is that? Okay, the first is this. By faith, Abel offered the first. It said that Abel offered, he brought the firstborn to offer to the Lord. And there's a principle throughout the Bible called the principle of the first fruits. It's a theme mentioned 32 times in the Bible. And it, it's, it's a dedicating or a giving of the first unto the Lord. You see this pattern play out. When you see something in the Bible that repeats itself and you see a theme repeats itself, it's kind of a rule. It's like, it's like gravity. It's a principle that God's woven into creation. It's woven into every aspect. Like this is a rule of God, this principle of the first fruits. Okay, Proverbs chapter three, verse five says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with, with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Okay, it takes faith to give the first. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It takes faith to give the first, okay? And here's why, because when you give the first, you don't know what's coming. Like when, when you dedicate the first to the Lord, what you're saying is, Lord, I don't know what's coming, but I trust you with it. Let's take the tithe, for instance. It takes faith to tithe. We believe in the tithe here at New Song. The tithe isn't the last 10% of your income. It's not the middle 10% of your income. It's not what you have that's left over at the end of the month. The Bible tells us to bring the first 10%. It's, it's given in faith. Why? Because when you give your tithe, you don't know if your car's gonna break down that week. You don't know if you're gonna have to change out the plumbing in your house. Like, you don't know what's coming. When you give the tithe, First, you have to lean not on your own understanding. You have to lean on him because what you're saying is, Lord, I trust that as I'm obedient to you, that you are gonna take care of me, that, I, that you are gonna lead my family. Every year, um, at the end of the year when we do our taxes, we get our end of the year giving statement. And on, uh, on that giving statement, it's got you know, all our tithe and our heart for the house and all our offerings. And every year without, without fail, it always is kind of just this kind of moment between me and the Lord. Um, it does a couple things in my heart. The first is this, is that I look at it and I'm, I'm incredibly overwhelmed because I remember when Kaylee and I first got married, just a couple of 20-something-year-olds, I was working at Starbucks, we were still in school, and that giving statement, what we were able to give throughout the year was, you know, when you don't make very much money, 10% of not very much money is even less money. <laughs> and, so, and so to be honest, I, I'd look at that and, I, and I'd, I'd honestly feel really discouraged because I'd be like, man, Lord, it just doesn't really feel like we're contributing very much. And just year after year, to see that number grow, it just, it just stirs this, this gratitude in my heart for how the Lord's led my life. It, this may seem a little bit backwards, but to me, looking at that number 
and looking at what we were able to live without throughout the year really is a better indication of how faithful the Lord's been to me. Because I look at my life and I go, man, I'm so content. Like the Lord has just led my family so well. And he's, he's, it, it's not that things aren't tight sometimes. It's not that things, you know, that we don't have to move stuff around sometimes. And it's not that we don't have to pray and, and, and push down anxiety sometimes. But the Lord has always been faithful. And he's always walked us through seasons, through seasons of, high, uh, of plenty and through seasons where it seems like on paper we've lacked. He's always, like I've never wanted and when I look at the, the, the level of contentment and peace that my family's been able to walk through at the year, even despite things that might show up, and, we, and then you look at that number and you go, this is how what we were able to do without that. It just, it just reinforces this idea in me that like the Lord is shepherding my family. And the second thing that this does when, when I look at this number is it's a little bit of a test. And I'm going to be a little bit tra- transparent with you this morning. But every year when I look at that number, I have this moment where I go, if someone were to write me a check for that amount of money, like right now, I know, according to my own understanding, I could do something with it that I feel like would bless my family or, or, or would, would take care of my family, would enhance my family's life. And it's this moment where I have to go, okay, who's the shepherd of my family? Am I the shepherd of my family or is God the shepherd of my family? It takes faith to give the first. Verse six, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Giving God the first is an acknowledgement and a surrendering to God's leadership. This principle isn't just about finances. This, this, this is one of those things that we can apply to every area in our life. I love practical stuff like this, like really black and white stuff like this. There's some things in the Bible like love people well that are kind of hard to measure whether or not you're doing that very well. It's kind of like, I think I'm doing it okay. But this principle of like put God first Put God first in all things. Put God first. It, it's, a, it's something that we can really break down and just practically apply to areas in our life. So take, for instance, your business or your work. You want God to lead you in your workplace. You want God to lead your business. Okay, what if by faith, when you got to the office, the first five, 10 minutes that you spent in the office wasn't spent checking up on emails or you know checking text messages and all that stuff. What have you spent the first five to 10 minutes just praying to the Lord, worshiping the Lord and spending time praying over your day? We all want... We all want the Lord to lead our kids, right? We all want them to grow up and to be in the middle of God's love and God's plan for their life. What if we gave the first fruits of their life, the first 18 years of their life, what if we dedicated to the Lord? Like, I don't want to give, I don't want to give the first fruits of my kid's life to sports or to school or to screen time or just to let it happen accidentally. Like, I want to give, I want to dedicate the first years of my kid's life to the Lord. Like, what if we spent the first 18 years doing like, like Pastor Sarah said last week and just teaching them to love the word, teaching them to pray, praying with them, like bringing them to New Song students where they can con- consistently work on the discipline of being in community and worshiping and sitting under the word. Like, well, what if we brought them with us and, and, te- and taught them the joy of serving the Lord? Gave them a love for the local church. One of the greatest gifts that you can give your kids one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids and, and impart into their life is a gift of a, the love for the local church. I, I, I'm a product of this. So I grew up waking up early, on, so early on Sunday mornings and going with my dad every week to rehearsals. My dad was the choir director. He was the music uh, minister at the church I grew up. And every, every Sunday morning, we'd wake up and we'd go to the church. Um, and he'd, he'd always make it fun, too. I think that's important. I think it's important that we show, uh, uh, that, that we do things to, to show our kids that, like, this is the best day of the week, to be able to come and serve the Lord. And we'd wake up in the morning, my dad would drop us off at this sketchy donut shop, which every donut shop's sketchy. 
Um, it, if you walk into a donut shop, just a little tip here. If you walk into a donut shop and it's not sketchy, you're going to pay too much for a donut. Okay? <laughs> He'd drop us off at this sketchy donut shop that was right next to a Starbucks. And I'd, I'd go in, and I can still remember it. Me and my sister would go in. I'd get a, a, a maple long john donut that was cream filled, not pudding filled. I don't know what crazy people, I really don't know what people are putting pudding in their donuts. That's, is it you? That's weird. That's weird, man. Pudding shouldn't go in a donut. No, no. A, a maple long john donut filled with cream. And then, and then we get back in the car and, and I'd watch my dad just come alive. He loved serving the Lord. He didn't complain about it. He, he didn't talk about how, 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 how much he wishes that we, he got more weekends off or that, that, oh, we're up here on Sunday. He didn't complain about the, the stresses of serving in ministry. He, you could tell that, that this was who he was created to be. And he loved, he, it wasn't just a love to serve the Lord, but I, I saw him feel honored. He always expressed to us just this honor to be a part of the body of Christ and to serve him. And now this is my favorite place in the world. Like, like today, you know, we had to, to do services online. And, and what I mourned was not seeing all my people, like not seeing all the people that I just love to worship with. Like, like this is my favorite place in the planet. And I'm doing those same things with my, with my kids. We, so in all of the areas in our life, let's take a look at it and go, how can I put God first in this? In, in Romans 11:16, 16, it says, for the first fruit is holy, then the lump, which is talking about bread here, it's like dough then the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. <clears throat> the first fruits being holy means that it's set apart for God, reserved for him, consecrated for his use. And that verse tells us that if it's holy, if the first is holy, set apart for God, then the rest will follow suit. The rest will be also. And this is a pattern for our life, okay? So I'm a firm believer. <clears throat> I'm a firm believer that the first moments of my day should be set aside for the Lord. The first moments of my day should be consecrated for his purposes. I get that some people go, well, David, I'm not a morning person. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I've met that many morning people. Like I think it's, a, I've searched high and low and I haven't met that many people that just love waking up early in the morning. I think older people like waking up early in the morning. I think it's because they go to bed early. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> Let me get a drink of water. This is always super awkward, by the way, when you have to take a drink of water. Thank you. Thank you. I do drink water good. I haven't met that many morning people. Um, I think there are people that stay up too late and are tired in the morning, and there are people that get to bed at the right time, and they wake up. And by the way, I'm one of those people that stays up too late. But what if by faith, what if by faith we gave the first to the Lord? Like, what if by faith, not by feelings, like even when we don't feel like it, even when we got to wake up and it's like, we got to wake up and we got to go to the kitchen and stand on the cold tile and sip coffee till that caffeine hits our bones. But by faith, by faith, I'm going to give the first to the Lord. Because here's, here's what I know. I may not get it right the rest of the day. Like I may have moments where I struggle and I mess up. I snap at the kids. I get angry with somebody. I, I may have moments where I mess up and I may not get it right later on. But I have an opportunity every morning to start my day pointed at Jesus. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. What an incredible gift we have every morning to wake up and go, Lord, thank you that it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. 
Thank you that it doesn't matter what's gonna happen later, but in this moment right now, your mercy is available to me. Your face I can come to and see clearly. And so I'm gonna point my life at you today, Lord. And if we'll do that over time, I think, I think sometimes we treat spiritual disciplines kind of like fad diets. Like we, we see it work for somebody else and we go, okay, I'll give that a try. You know, whether that's getting up early and reading the word, whether that's prayer, whether that's fasting, whatever it might be, we go, okay, I see that that works for somebody else. And so like, I'll give it a try. And we let a few weeks go by and, and we look in the mirror and we don't see the results that we want to. And we feel like the work that we've placed into it isn't worth the work that's coming of it. But here's what we got to understand, that disciplines are not meant to make us feel something. Disciplines aren't even to make us become something. D disciplines are to help us to be something. We're, we're, we're being disciples of Jesus. We're being disciples of Jesus. The, the goal of our life is not to just produce these disciplines in our life. The goal of our life is to be aimed at and to look like Jesus. And what the disciplines do is they help to, to provide someone, it's like bumpers when you go bowling. It helps to point us in the right direction so that we head, we're headed towards who Jesus is, is transforming us into. So by faith, we can offer our first. I think it's gonna be very difficult for us to put God first in our life if we only give him what's left over at the end of the day. I really do. The goal of putting God first isn't to become anything. It's to be something that we already are as a son and daughter of God. It's to be a disciple of Jesus. If, if you're putting God first to try to get something out of your life, whether it be change or blessing or whatever, that's not going to be enough to sustain you. Our aim has to be Jesus. We got to wake up one day and just decide, okay, this is who I am now. So by faith, Abel offered the first, and we can do this now too. Okay, second thing is this, by faith, Abel offered his best. It says that Abel offered the fat. Now, I don't know about you, but this is an offering I can get behind, okay? Anyone wanna give a few pounds for Jesus, all right? Love offering, more like a love handle offering, okay? And I tried that joke out on Kaylee this week and she was like, don't do it, don't do it. But I did it last night and I got a few chuckles and I'm just gonna believe that at home we're laughing right now. I know we're laughing in here. Uh, by faith, Abel offered the fat. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the best. Abel, Abel offered the best, like that with the most potential, that, that which was most delicious. Like why is chicken breast better than chicken, uh, why is chicken thigh better than chicken breast? It's the fat, you know? Why is steak better than broccoli? It's the fat. Like in, in fact, if you, want, uh, if you want broccoli to taste good, what do you gotta do? You gotta put a bunch of butter on it, which is what? It's the fat. Abel, Abel brought the first, but he also brought the very best to the Lord. And I want, this, I want this message to get deep into our hearts today. Jesus deserves my best. The very best of my life. The very best of my life to serve him. The very best of our talents to be used by him. The very best of our time to be at his disposal. I think it would have been easy for Abel not to do this. To think, well, God's just going to burn up this sacrifice anyways. He's just going to waste it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring him what I don't mind giving up. And how often, how easy is it for us to slip into this? To go, okay, I, God, I'll bring you something, but I'm going to do all the things that I want to do first. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do the things that I think that are fun. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to pursue the goals and the dreams that I have. And, and these might be good things. And we go, I, I'm going to live a life under the Lord like I'm not going to sin. I'm going to stay out of sin. I'm still going to honor the Lord in my life. But the very best of my life, I'm going to reserve for me. And this was the major difference between what Cain offered to the Lord and what Abel did. Abel offered his first and his best, but it says that Cain just brought an offering. 
How often do we do this? We go, we go Lord, I'll, 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 I'll bring you an offering of my life, but the control of my life, the priority of my life, the aim of my life isn't gonna be aimed primarily at you. I want us to remember something here. Both of these were sons. So it wasn't what they brought the Lord as an offering that determined their sonship. It was the fact that they were sons that they brought an offering to the Lord. So this is a picture here of two different ways that we can live our life before Jesus. As a son and daughter of Jesus, this is two different options we have. And I feel like it's just so easy sometimes to slip into the mindset of Cain. To go, Lord, I'll bring you an offering of my life. I'll I'll, I'll bring you something, Lord, but it's not going to be my best. I'm going to reserve the best for me. I'm going to reserve the best for that which I deem a priority. I'm going to reserve the best for, for, for according to my own understanding. By, by faith, Abel offered his best. I think, it's easy, I think it's easy for us to slip into this mindset of Cain. We go, we love God, and we do. We, like, we do. We all slip into this sometimes. We, we love God. We love his forgiveness. We love his mercy. We love his compassion. We love that we have somewhere to run when things are tough. Um, we love coming to, to church and being in worship and, and how it makes us feel. We love all of those things. We love it. We love the whole heaven thing. And we bring an offering, but it's just an offering. And, and we find ourselves just going through the motions of devotion and worship and lacking any real substance. Okay, how does this happen though? Because we all start out like Abel. We get saved and we're just incredibly grateful to be saved. We're incredibly grateful for who God is and the kindness that he's shown to us. But then all of a sudden we start to drift. And I, and I believe what happens is that we begin to allow our view of God to shift. It's what A.W. Tozer calls a, a low view of God. I want to read this quote for us out, out of his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. This is a book that I try to read every year because it helps me to, 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 to keep my heart in check towards the Lord as far as like how I view him. So I want to read this quote for us. It, it's, a, it's a lengthier one, but, but I, I believe it's going to speak to us today. It says, I refer to the loss of the concept of majesty from the popular religious mind. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately, but piece by piece and little by little and without her knowledge. And her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. Wow. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has, has resulted from this one basic error, error in our religious thinking. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of a religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly and to meet with God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in the middle period of the 20th century. See, the issue with Cain's offering, it wasn't a sin issue. The sin came after the offering. I actually think that it was Cain's offering, his posture before the Lord, his heart towards God, that actually allowed sin to overcome him later on. Because God gives him a warning, sin lies at the door. And it was was his posture towards the Lord, his view of the Lord, that actually allowed his flesh to begin to act out and dominate his life. So it wasn't a sin issue here. It was a way that he viewed God. God wasn't his priority. The priority of Cain's life wasn't pleasing God. He didn't want to do things God's way. 
priority of, of, of Cain's life wasn't pleasing God. It was pleasing himself. God wasn't central to his life. It, it, was, it was an accessory. God was an access, simply an accessory to his life, this little side thing that he inherited from his parents that he would devote time and resource to, but it's not where his heart was. It's not where his priority was. What we give our first and our best to determines what we value. So how do we keep our view of God correct? Like, how do we keep ourselves from slipping to this Cain mentality? We want to stay in this posture of Abel where he brought his first and his best to the Lord. How, how do we do this, okay? Well, I think one of the things that we struggle to do sometimes is I think sometimes we put an emphasis on the fruit of God God instead of the face of God. I think we look and we look at what God wants to produce in our life and we make that the object of our pursuit because here's, here's why we do that, because we can see how that can directly benefit our life and, 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 and benefit us and enrich our lives here in this, in this, in this moment. But that's not, how you, that's not how you actually produce the fruit of God in your life. You produce the fruit of God in your life by looking at the face of God, okay? Let me read this for you, Colossians 1, chapter, uh, verse 9 through 18, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is what God wants to produce in your life, okay? Sign me up. You be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening, strengthened with all might according to his purpose and power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed into us the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So this is God's desire to produce in your life. He wants to produce freedom. He wants to produce repentance. He wants to produce fruit. Like he wants you to know his will. This is what God wants to produce in your life, but he does it through the revelation that's going to come in this second, this second paragraph. Okay, right here. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He may have the first place. So the way that God produces these things in our life, it's a product of us keeping our face and directed on who he is. And here's the thing. If we maintain this sense of awe, if we, if we maintain this perspective of God and this revelation of who he is, that he is before all things, and then he is more vast than we can comprehend, that he is greater than that can fit into our box, that he is, that he is more worthy than the praise that we could ever bring him. When we get this deep into our hearts that our God is an awesome God and worthy to be praised, when we get the revelation of who Jesus is, it actually empowers the gospel to have power in our life. Because now this God who I have no hope of reaching, this God that I have no business interacting with because of my sin, this God that is holier than I could ever reach on my own, this God that, 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 is, that is beyond time itself, yet looks upon my moment and put on flesh for me and walked this earth and allowed himself to suffer. If a God that good and that vast and that holy would come down for me, what love is this? And then the power of the gospel takes effect in us because we go, Jesus, Jesus, when I think of what you've done for me, 
when I think of how good you really are and how holy you really are, and I'm aware of the sin in my life and I'm aware of how unholy I am, but yet I'm washed by the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone. And that it's only by your grace and it's only by your gift. What that does is it allows our life to be reoriented around him. We begin to behold him, to gaze upon him. And when we lock eyes with the face of heaven, we see Jesus not who we think he is, but as he truly is. The rest of our life begins to orbit and order itself around him. We can't help but give the best to our God when we realize that he'd given his best for us. The third reason that God accepted Abel's offering was that by faith, Abel offered blood. And you know any point that's got blood in it is going to be awesome. Blood. I just like saying it. Blood. It's such a powerful, it's such a powerful word, especially, especially in our faith, like the blood of Jesus. The blood. There, there, anytime you see blood mentioned in Scripture, take note. Like this is a powerful thing. The, the Bible it talks about in Leviticus, it talks about that you can't eat the blood of the animal because in it is the life force. Like the, the blood is a very sacred thing. By faith, Abel offered blood. Okay, where did he get this idea? Okay, think about it for a second. The Levitical system of offering sacrifices to the Lord hasn't been established yet. They are the first children. Like they are the first ones bringing an offering to God. Like they're kind of making it up as they go. Like what, what gave Abel the idea that blood would make God happy? Okay, so again, we got to remember, we got to read this through the lens of not just an ancient Hebrew, we got to read this story through the lens. We got to put ourselves in the shoes of Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel's parents, Adam and Eve, would have thought that the, that the seed that was going to come up and defeat the serpent was one of their sons. So they would have been preparing them. So Cain and Abel would have, would have grown up on, on bedtime stories of the garden. They would have heard about the fruit and the views and the walks with God. They would have been warned about the serpent. They would have, they would have been enlightened to their parents' failures, which I think is an important thing to do. I, I've been thinking about this as, as my kids get older um, and they're ready. Like I want to share with them some of the ways that I've failed in life because when they look at my life, I don't want them to see self-righteousness. I want them to know that I'm a product of grace. So they would have grown up on this story. And I believe that there was a specific detail of this story that caught Abel's attention. And it determined the kind of sacrifice that he brought before the Lord. So go back to Genesis 3, verse 6. This would have been right after, uh, this, is, this is right at the beginning of the fall. It says, so when the woman Eve saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make, one's wise, make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So Adam and Eve sinned and they realized that they were naked. The, the, the innocence that God had created them with was forfeit. And in their guilt, they looked to cover themselves. They looked to cover themselves. And God finds them hiding and ashamed in the garden. And he curses the serpent. He tells Adam and Eve what the consequence for their sin is. And then something really interesting happens here in verse 21, okay? For Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, something to recognize here and note here is that this is the first mention of something dying in the Bible. And God did it. 
God killed something that he created. There's Bible scholars out there that, that believe that. There's some people out there that believe that before the fall that n- nothing died. Plants, animals, nothing died. That everything was actually a herbivore and ate the, the fruit, but it was the sin, the sin nature that caused creation to turn in on itself. But the first thing that dies in the Bible comes at God's hand. This is the first example of sacrificial atonement. It's the foreshadowing of the sacrificial system that's going to be given to Moses in Leviticus to cover the sins of the Hebrew people. And it's a foreshadowing to the final and perfect sacrifice of Jesus to cover our sins with his own blood. And I think Abel realized something here. I think what he realized was, God is a holy God and I'm a sinful man. And if I want to be near to him, if I want him to be able to see me and not just see my guilt, then something else is going to have to die to take my place. And this is the great work of faith that gets him into Hebrews 11. Remember, Hebrews 11:1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, so what did Abel hope for? He hoped for, he longed for relationship with God. And he believed that God wanted to be with him. So by faith, he offered blood. Verse four, by faith offered, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. That speaks to good works there, but he didn't do any good works. He was given, he, just like Abraham, because of his faith, it was accounted to him as righteousness. God testifying of his gifts, and though it, he being dead still speaks, why does it still speak? Because it points to Jesus. It says in Genesis that God respected Abel and his offering, but he didn't respect Cain's. Okay, so that word respect there in the Hebrew for both regards is this word that means to gaze at or to behold. So literally, God could see Abel and his sacrifice, but he couldn't see Cain. He couldn't look at Cain and his sacrifice. Why? Because God could look through the blood and see Abel. And in the same way, we can work hard to please God. We can work really hard to please God. We can do all the right things. We can, we can have perfect church attendance. We can have a, a, a being transformed journal that's absolutely full. But unless we have the covering and the blood of Jesus over our lives, there's nothing that's going to absolve us of that guilt before a holy God. You know what God desires for you? You know what God desires from you? It's not perfect church attendance. It's not, um, it's not a full being transformed journal. It's, it's not um, a morally superior life. You know what God desires from you? More than anything else, it's your heart. It's your heart. It's your heart. It's a heart that says, God, I love you and I'm honored to be in your presence. And Lord, I'm going to give you the affection, not just my money, not just my time, not just my best, Lord, my whole life laid down before you. And the only way we get to this place where we can encounter the love of God is if we allow the love of God to cover us. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just allow that to just sink in today. In your sin, before you ever turned towards him, God turned towards you. One of the things I've been thinking about is the eternity of God. Like God is eternal, meaning he exists everywhere in time at once. God's eternal. That means that when he loves you, He loves you eternally. When he loves you, he's loved you for all time and he'll love you for forever. God loves you knowing full well every good and bad thing you're ever gonna do. 
God loves you full right now, perfectly, knowing every good and bad thing you've ever done. That's why the psalmist writes, your, your love is better than life. Your love is better of life, than life. And when we get a revelation of that, when we get a revelation of truly how precious the blood is, and that it truly absolves us of all guilt before him, it allows us to engage with God in the right way. And it allows us to approach his face. And it allows us to draw near like Abel did. By faith. By faith. And I don't know what this word might be stirring up for you today. Maybe, maybe for you, you know there's some areas that you need to practically just get back to putting God first. I don't know if, if maybe you know that you're not giving the best to, to God if you were honest with yourself today. And we all go through seasons of that. Maybe you, if you were honest with yourself today, you'd go, I don't know what it's like to not feel my guilt to not have the guilt of what I've done in the back of my head and, and wonder how God loves me. My challenge to you would be, can you encounter the love of God today? Can this be the day that we, by faith, by faith, rest the full weight of our life upon Jesus? Place the fullness of our life down at the foot of Calvary and to gaze and behold this King of majesty that would come down and put on flesh for us. If you're feeling some conviction today, good, because I did all week long writing this message. This is one of those messages that you're writing and you're like, man, okay, Lord, I'll adjust some things in my life. Here's my encouragement to you. I found encouragement in the rest of the story. So we know how it goes. Cain gets jealous of Abel and that jealousy turns to anger and that anger turns to hatred and it manifests itself in, in cold-blooded murder out in a field. And for the second time, God goes to his son and asks a question that he already knows the answer to. He says, where's your brother? And what strikes me about this encounter is that God doesn't kill Cain. As he would have been just to do so. Remember, in a couple chapters, God's going to destroy the entire world because of iniquity. So God could have killed Cain. It would have been just. If that was in our Bibles, we wouldn't bat an eye on it. Like that, that tracks. Like he, he deserved death, but he didn't. It says he cast him out from his sight. But then he says this in verse 15, God says this. And the Lord God said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And then the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone find him should kill him. Now there's a lot of theories out there on what the mark of Cain was. Some of them are, are really damaging and really hateful and, and, and hurtful in history, but some of them are good. But the, the truth is we don't know, you know? Some people think it was a mark on the forehead. Some people think it was a mark on the hand. Some people think it was just kind of a, an overall presence of protection on Cain. The truth is though, we don't know. There's not enough in the text to tell us. But what I do know is this, that word there for mark, I looked it up on where it shows up in the rest of the Bible this week. You know what I found? This is covenant language. Meaning that in every other covenant, the Old Testament. This word shows up. We look at that and we think it's a curse. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, like almost like a mark of shame. That same word for mark 
It's the same word that God uses when he says that he, he put a sign before Noah and he gave him the sign of the rainbow. It's the same word that he uses for the, the word when he talks to Abraham and he goes, circumcision shall be a sign of our covenant between each other. It's covenant language. Here's, here's what God's saying to Cain. You're still mine. Man. And that's what he says over us. In moments when we've drifted, in moments where we've gone, you may feel so far away from where you started with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you've never trusted the Lord. You've never put the full weight of your life upon him. He looks at you and he says, I'd like to make you mine. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes today? Man, aren't you just so grateful for the love of God? Thank you, Jesus that in our sin, you'd love us. And if it wasn't our righteousness and our holiness that got your attention, we know right now it's not our righteousness and our holiness that's gonna get your attention now. It's the love of God and the mercy of God. And so Lord, we wanna respond to it. Oh, we wanna respond to the invitation and the beckoning of Calvary today to come home. We wanna respond to the invitation to walk with your, your easy yoke upon us, Lord. We, we, we wanna respond to your invitation to rest our life fully, not to give our life to idols, not to give our life to lesser loves, not to serve our own understanding or our own desires because Lord the world turns to ash in our mouth Lord we've tasted of the goodness of the Lord Lord restore to us today the joy of your salvation the joy of just being known and being loved by you Jesus let that settle deep into our hearts today Lord that we don't have to work and earn your approval or your pleasure Lord but that you give it freely today and because of that revelation Lord we can respond and live a life freely before you Lord we want to know you as our ultimate father your perfect and unfathomable and un un unconditional love that sets us free to live for you beyond all other priorities Lord We just take a moment within ourselves today, Lord, and we go, we want to put you first. We want to put you first in a practical sense, or we want to put you first in, 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 as a value in our lives, or we, we desire for, for, for our lives to orbit and revolve around your throne, Jesus. Or would you help us today, Lord? However you're leading us today, Lord, we just, we just respond to it. We just say yes. And we say we can't do it according to our own strength, but Lord, we need you to come, Lord captivate our hearts again, Jesus. What if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that, that needs to know you, to really know you for the first time, to surrender full control of their life unto you? If you've, if you've been burned out on religion, if you've been burned out on, on trying to, to pacify and soothe that guilt and in conviction in your heart today there's grace the cross is available to you today the blood on the cross is just as fresh today as it was 2,000 years ago all you have to do is receive it all you have to do is receive it and you receive it simply just by coming before him and go God I confess that I'm a sinner that you're a holy God and I can't get to you because of my sin but I believe Jesus that you are who you said you are that you are the King and the Lord and you are the perfect blood that's been set and, and placed over my life. So by faith, 
the best way I know how, Lord, I go, Lord, I want to give you the rest of my days. If that's you, just pray that prayer to him. Just get before him just to go, God, I want to surrender my life unto you, Lord. I'm done living for myself. I'm done living for, for what the world prioritizes. Lord, I'm, I'm going to rest my, the weight of my life fully. I'm all in, Lord. I'm all in, Lord. And then ask the Spirit of God just, just come. Fill your home. Fill your car. Fill this place. Seal you with your love. To be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to go into a time of response today. If you have a prayer need, you can write that in, in the, the comments on, on, on underneath the live here. We've got some of our prayer team that's going to be reading those and praying over those. But what I just want to encourage us to do is, is as Pastor Maddie goes back into the song, I just want to respond to the Lord with our yes. I just want to respond to the Lord with yes, Lord. I want to put you first. I want to give you the best of my life, Lord. Can you stand to your feet with me? If you're in the room, if you're at home, would you stand to your feet? Just get into a posture this morning of response for the Lord. We say yes, Lord. We say yes. You deserve our best. You deserve our first. Would you help us, Lord? We respond to your word today. We respond, Lord. We respond to your spirit and, and your invitation of love. We respond to you, Jesus. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.